Uh, Lord, we thank and praise you that you are revealing God, that you have graciously and lovingly revealed yourself in the scriptures, that Old and New Testament together comprise your revelation of what you deem to be essential for us to know this side of heaven. And Lord, we thank you that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible, and that as the Spirit of God who authored the Scriptures lives within the blood-bought child of God, that we can understand, that we can put into practice what we see, and that it would not be an educational experience in these 40 minutes. That is far too shallow but may be a transformational time in your word in these 40 minutes. Block out distraction, block out deflection, where we see the truth and say, oh, that's good for Sally. Lord, may we be dry ground that you will refresh through the rain showers of Scripture tonight. Lord, be magnified, be honored, and be glorified as we have sung now, as we give attention to the preaching of your word, for we ask these things not for our sake, but for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus Christ, our Savior's name. Amen. The devolution of mankind, Romans 1, 18 through 32. Before we get to Romans 8, uh, excuse me, Romans 1, 18 to 32, I want to ask you, what do you make of the Old Testament story of Uzziah? Hold your place in Romans 1 and go with me to 2 Samuel 6. What do you make of the Old Testament story of Uzziah? I'm reading 2 Samuel 6, 2-7. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up the ark of the Lord, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzziah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. And so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. What do you make of that? Well, you say, that was the wrath of God that was Old Testament. Well, okay. What do you make of Acts 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Acts 5, 1 to 11, if you'd like to turn there. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has the Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart and have not lied to men but to God? By the way, that is a very important text proving the deity 
uh, of the Holy Spirit. He said at first, you lied to the Holy Spirit. He said second, you lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Verse 5. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and then carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things, I guess so. What do we make of these stories? That's New Testament. What do you make of the prophetic passage in Hebrews 10, 29 to 31? How much severe punishment do you think that he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we who know him, who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What do we make of these passages in Second Samuel 6 and in Acts 5 and, and Hebrews 10. What do we make of these passages on the wrath of God? What do we understand about these? What do we need to think through about the wrath of God? What do you do with the promise of God's future wrath? You see, God's wrath is one of his perfect attributes. For God to be holy, he must have wrath against evil and sin. Wrath to holiness is like shadow to light. Wrath to holiness is like hearing to sound. Wrath to holiness is like falling to gravity. If you have true holiness, and God does, then you must have wrath against evil. And if you have real light, then you must have shadows that are cast by it. If you have genuine sounds, you must hear these sounds. And if you have gravity, then you must fall if you step off of a ladder. God's wrath although minimized and ignored largely today in the church of Jesus Christ, is part and parcel of who God is. God's wrath is part and parcel of who he is. Of course, the beauty of the gospel that we learned about in verses 16 and 17 of Romans 1 this morning, the beauty of the gospel is that God's just wrath for our sin has been totally absorbed by God's Son on the cross. That is beautiful, that is mercy, that is grace, that is magnificent. The beauty of the gospel that the wrath that you deserve and that I deserve for our sins has been totally absorbed by Jesus Christ who had no sin on the cross. Of course, in sharp contrast, the terror of rejecting Christ until death is that the rejecter of him or uh, the rejecter of Christ he or she fully absorbs God's just wrath for his or her sin, both temporally on earth and everlastingly in hell. You see, sin has to be paid for. The justice of God, the holiness of God, and the wrath of God demand that sin be paid for. There's two ways it can be paid for. It can be paid for through Jesus Christ and you having him to be your substitute, or you pay for it yourself and eternally in conscious torment in hell. That's the fact. 
Now here's the thing. When it comes to God's wrath, there is both an already and there is a not yet. When it comes to God's wrath, as we sit here tonight, July 26, 2015, there is a sense in which God's wrath is not yet, and there is a sense that God's wrath is already. And Romans 1, 18 to 32, describe the already component of God's wrath against human sin. And you might be surprised about what God's wrath against sin actually looks like, how it operates in the here and now expression of God's wrath against sin. You may be surprised how he outworks his wrath now against rebels who sin. And so if you haven't turned back to Romans 1, I invite you to turn back to Romans 1 and beginning at verse 18. I want to read our entire passage before we look at it more closely. Romans 1, 18 to 32, hear the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, they, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is the already wrath of God as expressed by the scriptures. And it seems to me that as we look at this passage that is so relevant and so current that you want to touch the page of your Bible to see if the ink is still wet, as we look at this passage, we need to look at it in terms of five questions being answered. First, why do I need salvation? Maybe your coworker asked that question. Maybe your spouse asked that question. Why do I need salvation? Second, why am I under God's wrath? Third, what truth do I suppress? Four, how do I suppress the truth? And five, what is God's revealed wrath? 
Let's look at these one at a time. Question one, why do I need salvation? The answer from the text is because all ungodliness and unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. Because all ungodliness and unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. That's what it says in verse 18a. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Sometimes God's wrath, the person under it doesn't even understand that they are. Why do I need salvation? Because all ungodliness, all unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. The Greek word which is translated wrath here is orge, O-R-G-E, orge. Orge is a special word which is reserved for rational, righteous anger. When you see a child molested, when you see a woman raped, when you see someone embezzle money and cheat people out of the retirement savings money, you should have orge anger. Orge anger is reserved for rational and righteous anger. Jesus had orge anger when he walked into the temple and threw the money changers out with whips and said, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise, but it is a house of prayer. And by the way, if you wear a what would Jesus do bracelet, you better consider that part of his character too. What would Jesus do? Well, sometimes he'd have orge anger. So should we. Orge anger is reserved for rational and righteous anger. We might know it as righteous indignation. This kind of anger is measured and it is reasonable. It is in no way an out-of-control, knee-jerk reaction. Our Lord, again, had this anger at the temple. So why does a person need salvation? 18 tells us that the person needs salvation because all ungodliness and unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. You're under God's wrath, (laughs) That's why you need salvation. Second question. Second question is, why am I under God's wrath? Someone took the gospel to a longtime Canadian atheist in the hospital and shared the gospel with him on his deathbed. He said, I'm not aware that God and I have ever had any odds. Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, said he can't recall a reason he's ever had to ask God for forgiveness because he makes good decisions. Why am I under God's wrath? Here's why. Second part of verse 18. People are under God's wrath for the suppression of the truth. The suppression of the truth. See it in the second part of 18? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When it comes to God's truth, mankind is very good at suppressing it, holding it under, pushing it down, forcing it into a lidded box. We're good at that. We do this in a lot of ways. We do this by concluding that truth is relative. We do this by concluding that truth is archaic, old-fashioned, out of date. We do this by concluding that truth is constrictive, We do this by concluding that truth is bendable, shapeable, tailor-made to our thoughts of truth. We do this by concluding that truth is unknowable. Truth is knowable. Truth is knowable. And a person who says that truth is not knowable is suppressing the truth. 
But the summary way of saying how mankind without Christ suppresses God's truth is that mankind is consistently and unashamedly unrighteous. See it there in verse 18? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, watch it, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In unrighteousness. You could picture God's pure truth as a bouncy child's ball that people are playing with in a swimming pool. It wants to float. It was made to bob at the surface of the pool water, but good swimmers love to shove the ball under the surface with their weight, and they try to hold the ball underwater. It's kind of a fun game. They don't want it to pop up above the surface to be seen. This is a mundane illustration of how the the world, mankind without Christ, tries to suppress the truth, keep it underwater. But the truth has a way of emerging. God's truth is buoyant. You can't really hold it down. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Question three, what truth do I suppress? Well, this is the answer. The truth about God's power and the truth about God's person. Typically, those that would suppress the truth of God suppress the truth of God's power and of God's person. More specifically, the truth that God is the creator and above man, the creation, that's suppressed with evolutionary theory. See this with me in verses 19 and 20, please. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God's person and power have been miraculously and magnificently expressed in creation. And so Satan attacks creation, says there's no creator, so that God's truth could be suppressed that we're just... uh, products of random chance. It takes way more faith to be an evolutionist than to be a Christian. To be an evolutionist, you have to believe that the airplane above the Bahamas full of uh, hundreds of thousands of letters of the English alphabet dumps all the letters and they fall to the ground on our nation and they form the Encyclopedia Britannica by random. And then you say to them, that's ridiculous. And they say, okay, just take the plane higher so the letters have longer time to fly down to the earth. And they'll come into the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's ludicrous. You don't look at Mount Rushmore and see those presidents in the stone and go, wow, erosion is really something. Intelligent design demands an intelligent designer But those who would reject truth, God's truth, and suppress it choose to deny the creator. That's always where it starts. If you don't get the first 11 chapters of Genesis right, you cannot get the rest of the Bible right. And so, verse 20, 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. These guys suppressing God's truth, they are without excuse because they just have to look out the window, the birds, the trees. They just have to look in their garden at the flowers and the bees and they just have to look at a baby they just have to look at God's creation, and they're without excuse if they say there's no creator. They're, with, they're without excuse. They need Christ. And God's person that is denied in this suppression includes his invisible attributes. That is his sovereignty, that he is the boss of his creation. That is his omnipotence, that he has all the power there is to have to, cl- to include creation out of nothing. That he has a divine nature that's contrary to our sin-fallen nature. God is a divine nature of love and truth and mercy and justice and grace and holiness and wrath. And God's power and person screams so loudly from God's creation that a mission called Wycliffe Bible Translators has observed that in every known language on earth, there is a word for the supreme being. Wherever the Wycliffe Bible translators have gone to integrate with tribal peoples and primitive peoples, they have found in the language that's used in every tribe, there is a word for the supreme being. Yet, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, having been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. A man wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball cap positioned himself against a wall beside a trash can in Les Enfants Plaza Station in Washington, D.C. He pulled out a violin and began to play. In the next 43 minutes, as he performed six classical pieces, 1,097 people passed by and ignored him. No one knew it, but the man playing outside the metro was Joshua Bell, one of the finest classical musicians in the world playing some of the most elegant music ever composed on a $3.5 million Stradivarius. But no one in the crowd gathered for the virtuoso. He said, it was a strange feeling that people were actually ignoring me, (laughs) said Bell. (laughs) That's what people do with God's creation. (laughs) They ignore it. They call it evolutionary. They suppress the truth. Fourth question, how do I suppress the truth? This answer has six parts. How do I suppress the truth? This answer has six parts. First, you suppress the truth by depending on reason over revelation. Verse 21a, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. They, people without Christ, suppress the truth by Uh, suppressing, uh, by elevating human reason to a higher place than it should have over revelation. They really couldn't miss the creator. He left his fingerprints all over his creation. His creation revealed him as creator, but they reasoned and then they chose not to honor him as God. That's how they suppress the truth to this day. How do I suppress the truth? Second way, you suppress the truth by your futile reasoning, which leads you to foolishness. 21b to 22. 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. For example, futile reasoning. The first and second laws of thermodynamics being totally disregarded by the theory of evolution. In the first law of thermodynamics that all scientists would agree to is energy can be changed in a closed system uh, from one form to another, but it cannot be created. First law of thermodynamics. Every scientist would ascribe to it. Contrary to evolution. Second law of of, uh, thermodynamics. With time in a closed system, it is always a movement from order to disorder. Randomness to chaos. Every scientist, atheistic, secular, Christian, would ascribe the second law of thermodynamics too. And yet the theory of evolution cuts right across those two laws of, of thermodynamics. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You are a fool as a scientist if you hold to a scientific theory that is in contradiction to two other scientific laws. Ice cubes melt in a glass of water. They don't become ice replicas of Mount Rushmore. Foolishness, believing that pond slime came to be human beings. Foolishness. How do I suppress the truth? The third way people suppress the truth is by worshiping idols, verse 23. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. They suppress the truth of God by worshiping idols. You see, you sp- people without Christ spurn the glorious, incorruptible creator God. You, they worship and count on the images of corruptible creatures. The story is told of a horrified mother who looked out the window to see her children, each playing with a different baby skunk. And she shrieked, children, run as fast as you can. And then each child scooped up his baby skunk and ran. That is a picture of what people do who suppress truth. Don't confuse me with the facts. I'm going to run away with my skunk. How do I suppress the truth? Fourth way of six. You suppress the truth by having unrestrained sinful desires. Unrestrained sinful desires, verses 24 and 25. Therefore... God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Will you please notice that these sinful desires that are unrestrained, they are unrestrained in two senses. Number one, they are unrestrained within the sinner himself or herself. And second, they are unrestrained by God who gives them over to sinning and to the consequences of sinning. People suppress the truth by having unrestrained sinful desires, and this specifically shows that these unrestrained sinful desires are unrestrained within the person himself or herself, 
who is suppressing truth, and they are unrestrained by holy God, who as a judgment gives them over to more of that sinning so that they would bear the consequences of that sinning. Now please hear this important. This is maybe the crux of this sermon. God taking his hands off of you is a very serious and damning judgment. It is a reserved, deserved outpouring of God's divine wrath. When he takes his hands off of a person and gives them over to sin, it is a serious, damning judgment of God. How do I suppress the truth? You suppress the truth by having unrestrained sinful desires and God in his judgment takes his hands off of you as a deserved and reserved wrath so that you can sin however you want, but you can't pick your consequences. And so in verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. Verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. It bears repeating, God taking his hands off of you is a very severe and damning judgment. It is deserved outpouring of his divine wrath. How do I suppress the truth? Fifth, you suppress the truth by acting on your degrading homosexual passions. This sermon will be on our webpage, accessible around the world to anyone who cares to listen to it. Gay marriage has become legalized in America, as you know, and pastors will face imprisonment eventually if they will not perform gay marriages. I said when I pastored in Pennsylvania that that was coming, and I said that when that did come to America that I would keep preaching the Bible in a passage like this, and I would go to jail. And the other pastors in the church would then preach the truth of God until they went to jail. And then when all the pastors in the church in Pennsylvania were in jail, then the elders would get up and they would preach the Bible until they're all in jail. And then the deacons get better get ready to preach the Bible until they're in jail. And then the lay people, the laymen, need to get ready to preach the Bible until they're in jail. Will this come to the Bahamas? We can sure pray and work against it not coming. But this is on the Internet. Anybody who wants to listen will hear what I'm preaching about homosexuality. I'm not frightened. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not hesitant. One of the ways that people suppress the truth is by acting on their degrading homosexual passions, verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over, God gave them over, to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving uh, in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Did you realize that these gay pride parades in some parts of the world have so degenerated that homosexual acts of sex are in the parades? Do you realize that in those parades, human excrement is thrown by homosexuals to people who oppose the parade? Do you believe, do you realize, I should say, that homosexual activists after the court ruling of the Supreme Court to legalize gay marriage went into the White House, into some of the rooms that had large portraits of the founding fathers and first presidents of the United States, and were filmed and photographed giving obscene gestures to the paintings? Realize that? 
Realize that, that there's a lesbian who's been uh, mocked, crucified on a cross to blaspheme Jesus. It's part of God's wrath. When people suppress the truth and act sexually, unnaturally, in perversion, God, in judgment and wrath, gives over to more of it until, bang, it's over. The here and now aspect of wrath is they get more of what they want to do that's vile. And the not yet aspect of God's wrath, if they don't run to Christ for salvation, they are damned to hell for eternity. We should share Christ with homosexuals. When I was waiting tables in Dallas, Texas during seminary, there was a homosexual waiter I shared Christ with him because he needed Christ. His sin was no worse than my sin. Jesus died for his homosexual acts. So I shared the gospel with him. We should share the gospel with gay people, not because we don't hate gay people. We hate their sin. They need Christ. Will you notice from this passage that homosexual sex is not a genetic alternative that deserves civil rights? or scientific credence. Rather, according to God, which is the only voice and and will and judgment that counts, homosexual sex is degrading, verse 26. It's unnatural, verse 26. Further, homosexual sex abandons sexual design for marriage, verse 27. And it is indecent, verse 27. And it is penalized error, verse 27. Do you know people who disagree with that assessment? Chances are you do. They don't disagree with you or me. They disagree with God. They disagree with God. How do I suppress the truth? Number six of six. You suppress the truth by having a depraved mind, which includes depraved thoughts, words, actions, and approvals. You suppress the truth by having a depraved mind, which includes depraved thoughts, words, actions, and approvals. Verses 28 to 32. Notice some of the things that are in the list here. 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Wait a minute. Gossips? Yeah, gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant. Wait a minute. Arrogant. Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Wait a minute. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval who practice to those who practice them. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, verse 28, any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness. You realize that Planned Parenthood was busted in the United States for selling fetal body parts of aborted babies. One of the heads of Planned Parenthood was caught on a video in a restaurant sipping on her wine and drinking her $200 or eating her $200 plate and talking with a person about what the price, a fair price for a, a fetal heart, a fetal lung, a fetal kidney while she ate. Is it not something that Planned Parenthood, who says that the unborn baby, the fetus, is not human, 
uh, understands that when you kill them and you cut them apart, they have human parts that they can make money on. Gross. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant. May I stop at arrogant? Do you know what one attorney general in one state of the United States is doing since the video was not um, known to be filmed of that head of Planned Parenthood who is bragging over prices of fetal baby parts? She is trying to prosecute the person who took the video because they didn't give knowledge to the woman who was bragging about selling these parts for profit. That's like saying that somebody who found out Hitler's concentration camps and didn't follow the, all the dots and the jots and the tittles of German law should be prosecuted for bringing the Auschwitzes to light. That's how far sinners have devolved as God has given them over to suppression of truth. The sixth way people suppress God's truth to review is you suppress the truth by having a depraved mind, which includes depraved thoughts, words, actions, and approvals. Now, let me tell you what a depraved mind is. The uh, Greek here is adokimos. Adokimos is the mind. A rejected after a trial mind, a failing the test mind, a disqualified mind, a useless mind, and a reprobate mind. That's a depraved mind. And all the while, the person who has a depraved mind presents him or herself as sophisticated, educated, superior. But God says they have a depraved mind. They've been given over to a depraved mind. And will you please notice that the depraved mind leads to improper, unrighteous, wicked, greedy, evil, murderous, self-ridden, deceitful, malicious, verbally poisoned, blasphemous, disrespectful, arrogant, proud, perverted, reckless, foolish, backstabbing, unloving, unmerciful, and undeserving of de- and deserving of death rather deeds. You have a polluted mind, then what you think is polluted, what you approve is polluted, what you say is polluted, what you value is polluted. And so much for Norman Vincent Peale's great pronouncement of a bygone day that every day and every way people are getting better and better. God says that is ludicrous. That is ludicrous. So with me, are you seeing the devolution of society in all this? Are you tracking the downward spiral for mankind in all of this? Are you seeing that when God takes his hand off of a rebel who suppressed the truth, that it is a damning and serious judgment to be given over to your sin? And so we need to realize there's some children here tonight, and I'm glad. We need to realize that we do not live and work and raise our families and serve our Lord on a level playing field. We live and we work today and we raise our families and serve the Lord today in quicksand. Quicksand. Question five 
Last question. What is God's revealed wrath being given over to more and more sin? God's revealed wrath, according to this passage, is being given over to more and more sin. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. What is God's revealed wrath? It's being given over to more and more sin. You know, hands off the wheel can lead to collision. And no fences can lead to roadkill. And no rules can lead to overdoses. And no purity can lead to STDs and abortion. And no arrest can lead to sociopathic crime. And no service to others can lead to suicide and self-absorption. And no self-control and commitment can lead to divorce and child custody battles. Oh, to be sure, the bottom line in this message is that God taking his hands off of you is a very severe and damning judgment. It's a deserved judgment. It's an outpouring of divine wrath judgment. So let me wrap up this sermon with that's been on the condemnation of those who suppress the truth. Let me bring to conclusion this spiritual-inspired treatise or argument on the devolution of mankind. The writer of the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton was a violent, crass, immoral slave driver and traitor. No sin was below him. Then he was converted. Then he was made gloriously to be new in Christ. And this transformed reprobate's redeemed and holy life argues from the past a most encouraging truth, which is the second bottom line of this sermon. Sin's downward spiral can be broken by God's grace. Sin's downward spiral can only be broken by God's grace. Society around us may in fact be quicksand, yet individuals' lives can be stabilized and sanitized and sanctified such that they bring glory to God. If I open this up to testimonies, some Sunday night I will. There would be people, precious people in here who have been totally transformed by the grace of God and the salvation in Jesus Christ from what you used to be. Totally new. Magnificently new. Oh yes, sin's downward spiral in the person who suppresses God's truth can be broken by God's grace, by God's gospel, and by God's Son. The cross work of Christ lifts God's wrath off of the redeemed. And truth can once again be showcased where people once suppressed it. My mother says after conversion, she laughed. She laughs over what she cried about and she cries now about what she used to laugh about. And with the gospel of Christ and God's grace, the creature can bow down to the creator. And revelation can trump reasoning. Because of the cross work of Jesus Christ, idols can be thrown away, never to be picked up again. Because of the gospel, sinful desires can be brought into check. Because of the gospel, a depraved mind can morph into a Christ-honoring mind. 
Because of the gospel, God's hands of judgment can be on your life again in blessing to lead you and to hold you and to guide you into his will and purpose for your life. Does that describe you? Trust it does. In 1636, that's a long time ago. In 1636, a group of Puritans founded Harvard University. Its motto was Christo e Ecclesia, which means for Christ and the church. Harvard was founded by Puritans for Christ and the church. One of the school's guiding principles back then was this. Everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17, 3. Harvard was started by Puritans for Christ and for the church. Their central motto was everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That prestigious center of learning and culture has long since abandoned its original spiritual intent. Even many Harvard Divinity School faculty members now regard its Christ-centered goal as narrow-minded and outdated. In fact, not long ago, a group of Harvard students staged a mock funeral procession through the Divinity School. They carried a coffin and proclaimed, Our God, the Father, is dead. You know, Harvard is a microcosm, a miniature of all of mankind. God gives over those who persist in rejecting him and suppressing his truth. God gives over those rebels. Dear Heavenly Father, but for your grace, we would be rebels. But for your salvation, we would be evolutionists. We would be sinners, proud of our sin. But for your word that we take as inspired and accurate, we would be taking sides that we would want approval to that your word is against. And so, Lord, we pray for the people we know and perhaps love that suppress the truth tonight. We pray that we would be able to cull out of this passage what you would have us to think about and to pray about and to speak about to them. Lord, thanks for showing yourself in the word. And thanks for drawing us to yourself for salvation by the spirit of God. Thanks for putting your hands on us and lifting off of us your wrath, which we so deserved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we shall say that for all of eternity in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray in his beautiful name, Father, and for his glory alone. Amen.